Welcome to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast, where we get to bring you sermons and content to help bring you closer to Jesus, develop your faith, and keep you up to date with everything young adults. Join us Sunday nights at 7 p.m. in the SCG Church Warehouse for our young adult service, or at our main campus services. We hope you enjoy. Amen, amen. All right, you guys may be seated. Well, welcome to Young Adults. My name is Matt, and uh, just to do the works here that gets to hang out with you guys, excited about it. Now, uh, we uh, were in a dating series, right? And uh, we've been in it for, what, six weeks now? Um, today's a bonus week. Uh, so many of you guys convinced me that we needed one more week. Um, and so we are doing uh, our last uh, DM series, dating, marriage, relationship, sex, sexuality, all that stuff, happening tonight. And uh, you also convinced me to get my wife to come and uh, teach tonight. Uh, and so uh, here's what's going to happen. Um, I could not convince her um, to actually come and like, like give a sermon with me. However, we were able to convince her to do a live Q&A. So tonight's going to look a bit different. I'm going to teach for uh, 25 minutes. Not 45, hopefully. Uh, 25 minutes. And then, uh, I, then I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to dismiss you guys. We have root beer and cold brew floats um, at, at the, at the, like, in the, like a five-minute section after my message. You guys can go grab. I'm going to have you guys text in questions at that time. Um, it, the number's on the piece of paper when you walked in. If you don't have it, you can get it over there. Um, and then my wife's going to come up. We're going to go through our questions. And if we have time, you guys will go into your discussion groups. Any questions about that? Pretty easy. All right, so we've been in our dating series for seven weeks now, including uh, today, and um, the reason that we've been in this series for so long now is I think that it's important that the church and I as a pastor teach God's, teach God's word, but also teach us how to navigate relationships, really sexuality in a way that does honor and bring honor to God. And the reality is that the world around us is even presenting, and I think you could probably agree with me here, that's even promoting that the message that you are defined by your relational and even your sexual pursuits. And I think and I know that the Bible has a better message for you than that. It has a better hope for you than that. It has a better identity for you than that. And so um, we're gonna spend, uh, we have been spending a few weeks talking about all that fun stuff. So uh, before we hop into where we're headed today, I'm going to give you a question, all right? I'm going to preface the question, though. Um, I think I have a slide for it. It's the best or worst date you've ever been on. All right, but if it's the worst date, you can't say the person's name, all right? You can't say RJ took me to, you can't say that, all right? You, can, you can't say that, all right? Um, just go like, all right, this one person took me and it sucked, all right? Oh, easy enough? I'm gonna give you guys a minute, turn to discuss with the folks around you. Ready, set, go. Um, all right, so uh, years ago I heard a story watching a, um, I was watching a show. I can't remember what show it was. Jimmy Fallon, Jay Leno, something like that. I can't remember. And the host asked the audience for the most embarrassing first date stories. The young girl stands up, grabs the mic, and she tells this story that she was in, um, in Utah. It was during winter, and it was, sn- it was snowing, and it was really quite cold. And uh, her date decided they were going to spend the day um, skiing. And they spent all day skiing. Later that afternoon, they're headed down the mountain, you know, and to go home, but it's kind of, you know, because it's snowy, it's kind of backed up, and so it's taken a while, and she realizes that, you know, an hour into the car ride that she had too much of her latte or whatever she was water or whatever it was, and so she's like, okay, how much longer? She's looking on GPS. It's an hour down the hill. She's like, okay, start breathing, you know, and uh, about 20 minutes into that, she's like holding, you know, like just like, like, I really need to go to the bathroom like right now, you know, and so five minutes later, she goes, look, you got to pull over right now. Like, I'm about to go to the bathroom in your car, right? So he's like, okay, so he pulls over, and he does it in a way, and so that, like, you know, blocking traffic, or not blocking traffic, but so that, you know, people can't see her. And so she jumps out, and he gives her, like, a blanket, you know, and, and because, uh, the, you know, it was snowy, she decided that she was going to kind of pull her pants down, but she was going to lean against the cold car, you know? A few minutes go by, and he kind of rolls down the window, and he can't see anything. He's like, hey, uh, is everything all right? And she goes, uh, 
I need help. And he's like, this is the first day. This is weird. Uh, you know, and, and so he comes out, and he's kind of looking, you know, like, you know, he's not really looking at her, you know, because he's a gentleman and all. And uh, he goes, what do you need help with? And she goes, well, you know how, like, when you put your tongue on a frozen pole and it gets stuck? My butt cheeks are stuck to the side of your car right now. And so he's like, oh, this is wild. Uh, so he's thinking, of, like, how, how can I get her off the car, you know? And she goes, try to find some warm liquid in the car. And so he's looking around, and he can't find any warm liquid. And he comes back, and he's like, look, I can't find any warm liquid. The only warm liquid's in my bladder. And, and so they realize, it is, it is just like, we're getting married. Uh, right? It's like, this is going to happen, you know? And so he's like, look, I'm going to go, like, find a bottle I can pee in, and then I'll be back. And, uh, and so she's like, all right, she's just glued, you know, just like stuck to the, you know, the, the side of the car, whatever it is, right? And, uh, and, that, and so eventually, you know, he gets his, his warm pee and uh, trickles it down the side of the car and sticks her off the car. And the audience, you can imagine, right? They're like, this can't be real, right? Like, this is the craziest. They're screaming, laughing. It's like the funniest story. So the host eventually goes, so what ended up happening? And she goes, well, we got married. And I just think that's literally the funniest first date story. And uh, I think it gives a whole new meaning to being pissed off. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm such a dad joke. I love it. All right. So uh, as funny as that story is, uh, the whole world of love and dating and sex and relationships and marriage and all of that is a big deal. And I think we could agree, at least on this premise, and something we've been discovering first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth week, and now seventh week, is a good relationship that's done in a godly way can really bless your life. A relationship done in an ungodly way, in a toxic relationship, well, that, that can really damage your life. And, I, and from some of the conversations that you and I have had with each other over the last handful of weeks, it sounds like some of you guys have really had some bad relationships. And, and because of that, we've experienced some hurts, habits, and hangups. We've, we've accrued and, and um, let's say, got some baggage now. And that's, that's okay. We all have baggage, right? And so over the last handful of weeks, we've been looking through um, God's text to discover what does it look like to go through our baggage and stay out of debt, get out of bed, and we talked about a plethora of other things. Now, today, what I want to do is I kind of want to do a recap. Given the fact that it's a bonus week, I was planning on doing Romans chapter 13 tonight. Um, I want to do a little bit of a bonus week, but also a recap of like, here's kind of some of the stuff we've discussed over the last six weeks to kind of put a button on it, I guess you would say, and uh, make it maybe a little more cohesive. And then I want to kind of switch gears and I want to talk about some things as a youth pastor that I've observed within kind of the targeted age group, junior high, high school, and even young adults. Um, No junior high relationship works, so let's just talk about high school and, and young adults relationships. Um, some of the things that make them work and some toxicities that I've seen happen and arise within those relationships um, and so that can safeguard us from those things. Now, um, here's, you probably can realize this from God's word, that relationships have always been an important thing. God is a relationally contingent being. What do I mean by that, right? So God, the, the, the theological understanding of God's nature that he exists in plurality is called his Trinitarian nature. Now, if you don't know what the Trinity is, it's really difficult to describe because there's nothing in the material world that adequately can reflect it, right? But it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And um, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, but they were all God. What? <laughs> right? So it's, it's, it's kind of complex, right? Nothing like it in the material world um, gives uh, a clear definition of something that's supernatural in nature. But God is relational, and therefore he created us in his image. Therefore, what would that make you and I? Well, Relational. Right, when God created us in his image, it didn't mean that like God, you know, is five foot nine and he has hands. That's not what it meant. It's that there are certain gifts and qualities and that he's communicated to mankind. And one of them is that you and I, we are relationally contingent beings. Now, you may or may not know this, but the very first human crisis in all of human history was actually a relational crisis. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of Genesis chapter one. If you're new to this whole Jesus thing, I'll be your tour guide. The book of Genesis, real easy to find. It's Page number one, all right? It literally, Genesis translates in the Hebrew as the beginning. Go with me to chapter one, verse 10. 
We're going to read that the very first creation, uh, the very first crisis in human history was a relational crisis. And we're also going to learn that when God created something, he gives this, this, this phrase, and it was good. Go with me to verse 10. It says this. If not, it's going to be up on the Sky Bible. It says this. God called the dry, uh, the dry ground land, and he gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Go with me to verse 12. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seeds and according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, verses 18 through 25, you're going to see that God has this, this statement. And God saw that it was good after he creates the sun, the stars, the moon, after he creates the sea creatures and land creatures. It says that God saw all of the created world that he and which he just created, right? The stars, everything, right? Dolphins, Orcas, everything. We just want to see world. Those things are impressive, right? So, uh, and we went to the safari park too. Like, unreal, right? Animals are crazy. God created all. He said it was good. But we're going to read in just a moment that not everything was good. Come Genesis chapter 2, it literally says, and God saw that it was not good. Now you're thinking, oh, dude, I grew up in church. I know the whole, you know, apple, you know, God's like, you, shan't, you can't eat the apple. And she's like licking the apple immediately. I've, I've seen the memes, right? I get it, right? Well, it's actually not talking about that. It's not, that's Genesis 3. It actually starts in Genesis 2. Go with me to Genesis 2, uh, verses 7. Just one page, flip one page. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. This is distinct, right? Everything God just kind of created, but now God does something more personal. He breathed his own, very own life into a man. Verse 15 and 18, it says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man, you're free from any truth, uh, tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly or surely die, some translations say. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be highlight alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. What's not good for man? It says, yeah, for him to be alone. That means that mankind, all of mankind, Adam is lonely. And so the first human crisis in all of human history was loneliness. So God being God, what does he do? Well, you know, he's a God that solves things, right? And so he comes up with a solution. Verse 21, go with me. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed it up with a piece of flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So instantaneously, right? He gets a bottle of NyQuil, passes out. God takes a rib cage, forms this, this woman out of him, right? He wakes up, and he's like, uh, what's going on? Verse 23 and 25. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She is called woman, for she'll be taken out of man. It's kind of this poem, right? This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. They become one flesh. Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You know why they felt no shame? Because fast food didn't exist yet. No, I'm just kidding. But so uh, I talked about this last week, right? Adam and Eve, he kind of goes all poetic here, right? And the joke I gave you was like, can you imagine if like on the first date, the guy says, you are now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, right? You'd be like, mm, swipe left, right? It's not, not about it, right? And so he gets all kind of romantic, and it's because this is the very first time that he's seen a woman, right? Like he has absolutely, he's like, what is going on here, right? Like this is, this is wild, right? But he also talks about some really interesting things here. It says being become united to his wife, and they become one flesh. To recap what we talked about in week six, which was last week, if you were here, we learned the Hebrew concepts and words behind this, basar kod, basar kod. It means fused together, and what, what's being talked about is the bond of marriage, rather the consummation that happens after a ceremony of marriage. When you stand, you say, I do, which means I don't to everybody else, and then that night, right, you, you, you guys are supposed to have sex, and that's the consummation of the marriage. That's the basar kod part. God now views you as one entity. And so when God doesn't see you as two separate human beings anymore, he sees you as one entity, right? And so it's talking about sex here. 
Now, when I uh, teach the human sexuality to students, and I've been a youth pastor here for over a decade, um, there are different, obviously, ways in which I teach it to sixth graders, and I'm going to teach it to 12th graders, or you guys, right? But one thing that I, I really try to get across is that God created sex, and he created sex to be good. I know that there's a lot of youth pastors or just people that have this idea of sex that it's like intrinsically wrong. I even know of people who have had sex, become Christians, and then get married, and then they struggle to have sex with their spouse because there's something about it that just feels like, well, my whole life I was told I wasn't supposed to do this. I messed up, and now I feel like, or maybe I didn't mess up, but just, I feel guilty about this. Like, like, this isn't something I should be doing, and God's like giving you a high five. He's like amped on it, right? Like, it gives you his seal of approval that you guys can do this now, Right? And it wasn't like when we, we joke around, and I've talked about this before, it's like God glanced down from heaven and was like, Adam, what are you doing with that thing, right? Like, no, he created the very female and male reproductive system. He created the synapses in the brain that register pleasure, right? Or the, uh, the nerve endings in, in the female and male genitalia, right? Like, he wired the human body in such a way. He created sex to be good. However, when something that is good, given by God that is good, is misused, it becomes bad, that's a premise all throughout Scripture. God created things to be good. When we misuse them, they become bad and enslave us. And I think you could agree that um, sex has enslaved a lot of people. Can you just imagine for a moment if we all did things God's way? How much easier your life would be, my life, our lives, society's lives would be, right? And so for the key, one of the things we've been discussing over, over the weeks is that, um, I guess, for us to learn to approach our sexuality and really sexual activity inside the design and plan that God had for it. Um, week three or four, I can't remember when I was talking about human sexuality, um, I gave you a verse in the book of Song of Solomons, and it says, do not awaken love or lust until it's pro appropriate or proper time, some translations. And that's a beautiful verse, because it teaches us this reality here, not where is the line, like first, second, or third, or fourth base, right? Like what, it's like, how far can I get in with my girlfriend or boyfriend until I'm messing up? No, that's not it. It's when is the time. Not where is the line, but when's the time. All sexual activity, all sexual activity is built within the confines of a marriage. That's when, that's, that's when God says, high five, stamp of approval, right? And so I think it would make sense that God is the author of all things. We learned that in Genesis 1 and 2, that him as our author and our creator, he would then give us the appropriate way to experience a flourishing sexuality. And that's what we've been discovering really over the last six or so weeks. Now, tonight, I want to focus really on all relationships. You can deduce certain things for um, dating and marriage that I think will still be helpful for all of us. But I'm going to kind of give you two observations or realities and then two problems that I have seen in my decade plus of experience in dealing with age groups that are pretty centered around dating, marriage, and sex. The first um, is that we need relationships. So if you're taking notes, the first thing that, that, that's an easy observation that we learn in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is that you, we, we need relationships. Right, there's something inside us that just knows it's not good to be alone. The first relationship that God did create was one guy and one girl, and it did have a romantic, let's say, flair to it. However, you do not need to be in a relationship to not feel necessarily alone. Right? I was reading a, um, an article a while back on Psychology Today, and um, it was uh, a psychologist that was surveying an orphanage in Russia, on the outskirts of Russia somewhere, um, and I think Siberia or something, you know. Um, and... Uh, he says that when he went, he got to see these babies, and he's never seen babies act the way that these babies had acted. And so he deduced that it was because they would cry, and they would cry, and they would cry, and because they were so understaffed that another person, an adult, couldn't meet the needs of them, and so they eventually just stopped crying. And so their diapers, they would get rashes, they would have eczema all over their skin, and the babies, they would just stop reaching out to another person because they knew that another person was not coming. 
So it followed the trajectory of some of these kids 10 or 15 years or so later, and 20 years in, in, in some cases. And it said that these kids had grown up so dysfunctional because of what happened in the first six, nine, or 12 months of their life because they didn't have another human being to connect with, to hold them because they were so understaffed. Right? Human relationships are so essential to our own development, right? And there's this greater meta-narrative in Scripture that we are better in relationships. But the truth is you're also worse in relationships, right? That I've never done really stupid things alone. <laughs> it was always like the buddy, like, do it and you're cool. Do it and you're cool. And I'll do something stupid, right? Like, whatever. I'll jump off. The, I'll do something, right? I'll, do, I'll take shots I should. Whatever, right? Being an idiot in high school, right? Um, Michael Henderson was teaching in 4-5 this last weekend. Where's he at? Where are we at? Um, and he, uh, he did this illustration where he, uh, he brought this, uh, he was talking about friendships, and he brought this, uh, this bowl of water up on stage, and he had two uh, dyes, and one was red and one was blue. And his, the whole purpose of his teaching, and he did a great job, was he would put like a red drop in, and he would have the students see that the water changed, and then put the blue drop in and see that the water's changed. And his whole, his whole purpose of his message is that relationships change you. And either pushing you towards Christ or pushing you away. But relationships are important, which brings us to the second thing. Relationships are complicated. So if the truth is we need relationships. The point 1A or B, I guess, would be that all relationships change us, make us better or make us worse, make us more godly or less godly, more righteous or less righteous. The second, I guess, part of that is that, well, relationships are complicated. Let's just by a show of hands. In the past week, evaluate the last seven days of your life. Have you dealt with some kind of stress or frustration in relationship to another person? A parent, a friend, a sibling, a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Just raise your hand. All right, raise your hand if it was a boyfriend or girlfriend. Raise your hand if your boyfriend or girlfriend's here. Raise your hand if it was your husband. My wife's hands down. Perfect. All right. Uh, no, right? But relationships are complicated, right? And uh, they have ups and downs. Sometimes you feel like, oh, we're doing good. Sometimes you're like, we're a dumpster fire, right? Like a nuclear bomb just went off in our relationship, right? Although relationships are complicated, it's not necessarily difficult to figure out why they're so complicated. When you take two individuals with their own unique personalities, strengths, weaknesses, and desires, and you seek to find common ground, well, it's going to get a little bit messy, to say the least, right? Especially when you throw in this whole thing called sin, it is a nuclear bomb, right, to human flourishing. Sometimes um, there's little messes in relationship, right? Like you just rub each other the wrong way in some capacity or way. You know, uh, funny enough, I'm sure you've heard that, like, the most important thing, you ask anybody, like, what's the most important thing in a relationship? And they go, communication. Communication is the most important thing. Pardon my French, that's horse manure, right? I'll tell you, like, communication is not a problem in the St. Franny household, right? Like, I communicate for a living, and my wife is, well, she's a girl, so she's great at communicating, right? And, uh, and so, like, when we want to communicate something to each other, we're real good at it, right? That just means we're real hurtful when we want to frustrate and when we're angry, Right? In my experience, I think one of the things that causes the most suffering in relationships is both parties are not, one, willing to pursue God equally, two, not willing to take ownership of their own sinful nature, their own selfishness, their own wrongdoings, and their own crap, right? I won't, we don't have too much time to talk about it today, but the, uh, the, I think the real relational problem is the problem that's foundational and fundamental to our human nature, the problem fundamental to our human nature, rather, and that's that we are sinful and our natures need to change. We talked about this earlier on in the book of Romans. I gave you um, Romans 3, Romans 6, Romans 9, Romans 12, be transformed by everything in your mind. I've given you uh, John chapter 3. It's this account with this guy named Nicodemus intercounting with Jesus. And Jesus says, you need to be reborn. Nicodemus thinks, like, I need to be physically reborn. I need to somehow enter into my mom's womb once again. He's like, Jesus, you're tripping. Like, what's in that wine you're drinking, right? Like, it, it, you're tripping. And it's a whole, it's not a physical, you're not, you're not talking you go back in your mother's womb, it's a spiritual rebirth. You need a new nature added to you. I'm going to say it this way. I think people pursuing God 
have the capacity to have and experience 100% better relationships than people that don't. I think that Christians, people actively pursuing a meaningful and deep relationship with God, have the capacity, because they have new natures, to experience marriage and relationships and have better sex lives, and there's a study that shows that, um, just better relationships. And the truth is, I think it's because until you deal with your sin, your sin will deal with you, and it will actively deal with you as you are in a relationship with another sinful person. And one of the things we've talked about, not in this series, but the one before this, and we were studying Romans, is that the only way for you to deal with your sin is through the person of Jesus Christ. Let me kind of switch gears. When it comes to relationships, um, I, uh, I often see two common issues that I do cr- think create complications and uh, disasters within, um, within your guys' age group. I think the first disaster happens, and you could probably agree with me, is when you have relationships in your life, whether friends, siblings, parents, or even a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a significant other, that push you away from God. I want you to go back with me uh, to the book of Genesis, and I want you to go to the, uh, the, the, the idea and concept of Adam and Eve in the garden, and God gives them the freedom to do anything. He just puts one condition in place, right? Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. If you have your Bibles, I'll give you a sec to go there with me. It says this, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from many tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. So the serpent Satan, right, he comes along and he throws, kind of lobs this idea uh, into uh, Eve's mind that God's command really wasn't worth following. By the way, that's how God, or rather, that's how Satan works in your life too. He will lob into your mind temptation. He will lob into your mind discouragement. Um, that li- is living for God and doing things God's way really worth it? Like to not really like move in, even though it makes financially sense. Um, to not have sex, to drive the car before you buy it. Like, like that's, he's going to lob those things into your mind, right? Verse four and five, chapter three says this. Satan says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that you will eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You can see actively, right, Satan in this story pushing her away from God. And it's this relationship between the serpent and Eve that causes a disaster that we just read a few more verses that she brings into now her relationship with Adam. Which means that if you want to have a, here's what we learn here. If you want to have a good, healthy dating life, relationships, and a marriage, your relationship with God first needs to be secure. What was the thing that Satan attacked first? It was her relationship with God so that it would eventually affect her relationship with Adam. I want you to think back just for a moment of a toxic relationship you've had in your life, whether romantic or just relational or something like that. It's probably toxic because there was one person in the relationship pushing the other away from God, encouraging you to do things you shouldn't do, step across boundaries you shouldn't, whatever it is, right? Go with me to verse six, chapter three. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, if you know the story, you know where it goes, right? Huge complications arise because the people in their relationship choose to push away from God and not towards God. So I want to challenge you, right? And this is how I teach this in student ministries. And let me be blunt because I love you and I want what God's best for you is if you have any kind of relationship in your life, any kind of relationship, a friend, um, and especially a romantic relationship, boyfriend or girlfriend, if you have these type of relationships in your life and these individuals are pushing you away from God, you need to change or you are headed towards chaos. Now, I'll give you two helpful tips. Maybe it's just a clarifying conversation. Hey, my relationship with God is a really big deal to me. And I need to be with somebody, either in a relationship, or I need to have friends that are spurring me on towards faith is what scripture says. Or imagine this, imagine like 
um, you're a girl, and uh, you're in a relationship with a guy, and he's trying to cross some boundaries with you. Just stop him and go, oh, I love God more than I love you. That'd be fire, wouldn't that? That'd be so fire. You'd be like, <laughs> I love it, right? No, my relationship with God is my first priority. My relationship with you is my second priority. Do not infringe upon my relationship with God by encouraging me or setting things before me that may be tempting. Right, like one of the things that um, my father-in-law Doyle said is my job and my relationship with my wife is to prime and create an environment in which she grows in her love for God. I love that. Like it was, I was literally like, he's like, hey, um, after I asked um, if I could marry his daughter and he gave me a list of questions, he said, let me give you just a few advice and some fatherly and pastoral advice. And one of the pieces of advice he gave me is, one, don't bring her home anymore. She's yours forever. Uh, I was like, thanks. Uh, and then the second one was, um, it, was what, it, was, it was the reality of what I, what I just taught you, right? Um, and I think that that is, is such a, an incredible like, responsibility, that it's my responsibility to create and prime an environment in which she grows in her knowledge and her love for Jesus, that she becomes more obedient in some sense of the way. Now, there's another group of us here that you may just need to take drastic steps. You may need to actually break up and that's because either you or she or you both lack the ability to lay boundaries. You're in a relationship. You guys are toxic with each other, wind each other up. You may be fundamentally incompatible, but you think you're compatible because you slept with each other. And so you were chemically bonded. We talked about vasopressin. It's a neurochemical that's released in the brain when people are having intercourse, and it chemically bonds you to the other person. It's more potent in women's brain than men. That's the reason that men can normally sleep, sleep around in a way that women can't. They feel connected in a deeper and meaningful way than guys do. And so we've talked about that in weeks past. So you may need to take drastic steps and go like, you're not good for me, right? But the one thing that we've been talking about is that if you're in a relationship that's been pushing you away from God, something needs to change or you're both headed towards disaster. Now, the second disaster happens. The second disaster happens when our relationships become God. The first, when they push you away from God. The second, when they become God. As a high school and young adults pastor, it's easy to see, and I'll use this illustration. I hope it's not painful. Um, when a girl makes their relationship with a guy God, right, they become consumed with this person's validation, and they fashion their lives around this guy, abandoning their, all of their, their high school friends or their college friends, and this guy becomes the number one priority in their lives. Now, normally, the guy gets tired, gets overwhelmed with this girl making him God, basically, placing things on his shoulders that he can't meet, and the girl sensing this, what normally happens, she starts giving more of herself away to keep this guy, to secure her relationship. So she starts crossing sexual boundaries that she said she wouldn't have crossed to try to keep the guy in the relationship, but it normally never ends up working out. And you just fast forward, and like I said, the relationship normally doesn't work out, and now both people are a little bit more wounded because they've gone through that relationship. I mean, as a youth pastor, I've seen that time and time again. And yeah, there's ways that it happens with guys as well. Here's the truth, and I mean this in the most loving way possible, and I hope this is not triggering or hurtful for you, but rather it's clarifying. If you don't have a good relationship with your dad, this is for guys, more probably so for girls. If you do not have a good relationship with your dad, you are more and most prone to make your relationship with your significant other the most significant thing in your life. And there's so many sociological reports that'll prove that. And God knew this about us, by the way. And it's not just for women, but it's also for men. And so you may not know all of the Ten Commandments, but God, knowing all of this, gave the Israelites some interesting rules, knowing what I just taught you about human reality and nature. Now, these ten rules that God gave us um, are all actually rooted in relationship. Like we said earlier, God is a relationally contingent being, right? And so these ten rules, the first four, are focused on our relationship with God. Why would that be important? 
What was the one word, or the, if you were here for the book of Romans, I taught you that the book of Romans meta-narrative, its theme is what? The, starts with an R, righteousness of God. The most important thing, the first four out of the 10, God wants to set this journey off about your vertical relationship with him. Why would that be? Because if you can get your vertical relationship with him good, your horizontal relationships with other image bearers and the created world around you will be okay. And so the very first commandment, it's a very short one, but it's an important one. Exodus 23 says this, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make nothing ultimate in your life other than me. No other significant other should be more significant than me. Friends, this may be the most important thing that I, te- that I teach you tonight. Unless you are actively pursuing a meaningful relationship with Christ, and the key word there is meaningful, you are actively pursuing a meaningful relationship with Christ, all other relationships in your life, yes, including romantic ones, will be a hopeless attempt to fill that void that only Christ can fill in your life. See, no relationship in your life or my life can take the place of the relationship that we are meant to have with God and God alone. This is the heart of the first commandment that God gave us. So there's in this juxtaposition, right? On one side, we need relationships. But on the other side, the most meaningful relationship we need is a vertical one with God because our horizontal ones cannot fulfill only what God himself can fulfill in our lives. Let me give you an ending illustration, and then um, we'll, do our, we'll do our Q&A. So um, uh, I've been married for eight years. I love my wife. Um, I would say that even if she wasn't here. And, uh, you know, she's an amazing, amazing encouragement to me, um, support and, and partner as I walk through life. And I truly cannot imagine my life without her. But the truth is, she will never, ever, ever be able to fill the void in my heart or make me whole, just as I cannot fill the void in her heart and make her whole. Right? She will never be able to fully discern and tell me what the ultimate point of my life is, the direction of my life, and what it should look like. And the truth is, at the end of my life, I'm not going to stand before her and give an account to her of my life. I'm going to stand before God, which means that the blueprint for a healthy relationship, marriage, dating, whatever it is, is that your vertical relationship needs to be the most important. Your relationship with your spouse needs to be second, and then third, your kids, and then everyone else. That's been switched a lot in society. The kids become ultimate, God's third, your wife is here, whatever it is, right? If you want, I'm just gonna, it's really simple. If you want to have a healthy marriage, make God first, your spouse second, and your kids third. And then everything, work, and everything else comes fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, right? The truth is you're never gonna fully grasp what love is without walking in love with the author of love, right? You're never going to grasp what love is without walking in love with the one who is the source of love, who can encourage you and spur you on to love, Right? And so um, I have a few more notes, but I'll give them to you actually as we do our, our live Q&A. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray for you guys in a second. Um, here's what I'm going to give you five minutes. I think we have a countdown we'll put up there. I'm going to give you five minutes to do two things. Number one, text in any questions that you have. And if we don't have any questions, that's fine. My wife will go pick up our daughter. Um, but if you have some questions, text them in. Um, I'm going to give you five minutes to text those questions in. And you guys can go. And there's, I think there's cold brew and there's root beer floats over in the cafe right now. Um, we're doing cold brew ones. Um, because I was in Chicago, and we were at the, this Starbucks Reserve, which is crazy. It's like six floors. And on the top floor, they were serving ice cream and cold brew, and it ended up being good, so I thought we'd do it. Um, so yeah, and so I'm going to give you five minutes. Text in any questions you have. If you have a piece of paper, um, that number is the number that I want you to text, all right? Let me pray for you guys, and then I'll, I'll give you five minutes. God, we thank you for today, and we thank you for relationships. I pray, Father, that you would continue to um, lead us, God, to have healthy um, human flourishing relationships. Um, and would you continue to encourage us and teach us? Lord God, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.
We hope you enjoyed listening to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast. For more information about our services, events, and ways to get involved, head on over to scgchurch.org. Thanks again for listening.